You ever wonder how you can navigate your way through the genre of spy movies like Bond, Bourne, Mission Impossible, and the best of all the rest? Well, we've wondered too. So join us now and we'll all learn how to become spy movie navigators. This is Dan Silvestri and Tom Pizzato at SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans, spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. We're big spy movie fans, and when we look online, we see a bunch of sites dedicated to James Bond and not much else. I mean, we're Bond fans. That's great. Yeah, and for me, it's really frustrating because there are hundreds of spy movies out there that have been made. But how are they interrelated? There's not a lot on the on the net that we can find that. What are the origins of the movies? Mm-hmm. Can we find scenes and themes in other spy movies that are in the one that we might be watching this evening? And how have these spy movies influenced each other? Finding that out is pretty tough right now. Yeah, and we, we think there's at least four main genres of spy movies, and we want to create a place to discuss all of them and see how they're interrelated. So Tom's going to tell us the four that we're going to start with. Obviously, one genre is James Bond. The others are Mission Impossible and the Jason Bourne series. And then one category we're calling the best of the rest. The best of the rest is a category of other spy movies other than the big three. In this genre, we think of things like Hitchcock's 1935 film, The 39 Steps, which is generally considered one of the first spy movies. In 1962, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, to more modern films like 2011's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and even Atomic Blonde, which they're making Atomic Blonde 2 of, American Assassin, and Red Sparrow. And these later ones are spy movies that became a lot more bloody and gory than what we'd had to date. Tom, you mentioned the 39 steps. In that film, for instance, you see for the first time a helicopter pursuing a target. Now, the helicopter is this tiny little thing. looks like it was built with a kid's erector set, but it's, it's there. It's the first time that a helicopter is actually pursuing a target. Of course, we're going to see a lot of this in more spy movies to come including From Russia With Love, The Spy Who Loved Me, Spectre, Mission Impossible 1, even Mission Impossible Fallout, and others. There are dozens of great spy movies like this that fall into this category, the best of the rest. We'll pick out what we think are the best and what we think have impacted other spy movies in subtle ways and in more sophisticated ways. And, and we want your participation. You know, Dan just said we'll pick out. We'd love to hear your voices on this too. So one of the things we're trying to do is build a, a worldwide community of spy movie fans. Maybe you're a Bourne fan and are just so-so on Bond, or you really like Bond and Mission Impossible but not Bourne. Or maybe you like some of the other spy movies from the other genres or from outside of the three main genres. So we're going to start with the first four genres, and we'll cover over 50 films. We'll have something for all spy movie fans, and we'll continue to grow the site by adding more movies or genres that we find are great or relevant ones that you might suggest. A category for spy comedies like Our Man in Havana, Austin Powers series, Kingsman, uh, Burn After Reading, Spies Like Us, etc. There's a bunch of them out there. Maybe films based on Jean Le Carré or Tom Clancy novels. Together with you, our spy movie fan community, we'll see what missions are ahead for all of us. We'll look for the interconnections and relationships and unique concepts and key scenes in all these genres so that we can all learn something new. For example, if you've seen Thunderball, have you also seen the 1958 film The Silent Enemy? The Silent Enemy brought the underwater henchman sled 
which in the movie is called the underwater chariots to the big screen seven years before thunderball and three years before the book was even written they're launched from a ship as later in thunderball they're being launched from the villain's boat largo's boat the disco volante if you haven't seen it check it out it's a fabulous film based on a true world war ii espionage story but here this is 1958 these are being seen for the first time in a spy film and that was really cool in, in how in both films they launched them from underwater yes so these things come out and you have no idea that these henchmen are out there and they're on their sleds in either movie going to do whatever evil deeds they're going to do yeah and, and like i said the, the 1958 film silent enemy is based on a true story this stuff really happened and they really had these things so it's kind of cool that now they're working these into the spy movies as well but 58 first time go see silent enemy yeah Very and, cool. and in, Th- in thunderball they are a little sleeker looking than they were in oh, yeah, silent yeah. enemy but uh you know passage of t- passage of time and how that stuff works helps we're looking for you as part of our spy movie fan community to contribute your ideas your insights and photos and if you have videos to this effort and to the overall distribution of this information through our spy movie navigator digital properties Think of this as a two-way street with information constantly going out and new information coming in. Spy Movie Navigator is partnering with our community of spy movie fans to gain new insights, see new connections, and have some fun together as we're talking about spy movies. As we're going to talk about spy movies, let's go ahead and start this relating our experiences with spy movies. So Dan, where, where did you kind of get hooked into this? Well, uh, I loved Goldfinger, and one of my all-time favorite Bond movies, one of my all-time favorite spy movies. So for me, it started with Goldfinger. Goldfinger was released in the U.S. in December of 64 in New York and in Hollywood, and later the general release, I think, was January 9th. This was the third Ian production James Bond 007 film that they released. I'm back in high school at the time, and a few buddies and I, we wanted to go see Goldfinger. I literally lived about six or seven blocks from my high school, an old Italian neighborhood. It was maybe a few miles from downtown Chicago. So anyway, one day we're talking, my buddies and I, and we thought we'd execute our own spy mission. We cut class, and we thought we were very clever because we had a plan. We took the bus to downtown Chicago and saw Goldfinger. Loved it. Loved everything about it. We're hooked on Bond early. Uh, the only flaw in our little plan was the guy who was supposed to cover for us and doctor up the uh, attendance sheets chickened out. <laughs> so we got caught by the school who informed our parents, of course, and we got punished by both. But, oh, man, Tom, it was worth it. Uh, it didn't sound like the ending was so good for you, but you say <laughs> it was worth it, so that's a good thing. Yeah, Goldfinger was fabulous. It was worth the risk. So we were hooked on spies, of course. So I had to watch all the television shows that followed, like The Saint, which began in 1962 and went through 69. The Man from Uncle, 64 to 68. I mean, The Man from Uncle was so cool that once you knew what Uncle stood for, the United Network Command for Law Enforcement, you were already cool. It was a great show. It was the first one that actually showed spies from different countries working together against the common enemy, which was Thrush in that particular show. So that was it was a lot of fun. And in one of the episodes, they actually tell you all the countries that participated in in the United Network Command for Law Enforcement. Of course, included the U.S., the Soviet Union, Great Britain, and a bunch of others. Mission Impossible, 66 to 73. 
Ah, I love that show. I watched that show diligently. Every time it was on, couldn't wait for the next episode. It was just brilliant. And, of course, the Avengers, 61 to 69. These were the ones I watched all the time. And, of course, you mentioned The Saint and The Avengers. So The Saint had Roger Moore starring in it, and uh, obviously he was uh, James Bond for seven movies. The Avengers had Diana Rigg in it, who obviously has a connection into On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where she plays Tracy DiVincenzo. Also, Honor Blackman was in The Avengers as well, and she obviously was Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. So, Tom, how did your passion for spy movie stuff start? Well, Dan, for me, I was two when Goldfinger came out. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh A little little young to (laughs) catch Goldfinger in in the theater, although it actually is one of my favorite movies. They wouldn't let you in. (laughs) Yeah, of of all times. But my first recollection of the spy stuff was The Man from Uncle, I think, and then Get Smart, and then the Mission Impossible television shows. I, I really liked those a lot. In the theater, for me, the first one that I can remember was Bond in The Spy Who Loved Me. Totally blown away by it. Kept going to all of the Bond films as they came out. I, I do want to make a quick comment about Mission Impossible, though, when that thing came out. As a fan of the TV show, they made me so mad when Jim Phelps was the turncoat. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got really ticked off with that. And um, I think every fan of the TV show Mission Impossible felt the same way that holy jeez yeah now they they in the in the tv show they did have agents go bad yeah and they didn't want to keep jim phelps as the main recurring character they wanted it to be tom cruise right so you know they wanted to do that so i I guess i can kind of understand it but boy did that tick me off it it made it harder to watching the rest of the mission impossible movies but (sighs) somehow you got to get over it (laughs) exactly Bond in the 60s was dominant. Remember, the first four Bond movies came out one year after another, 62, 63, 64, 65. So people were reading the Fleming books and waiting and anticipating the next film. Couldn't wait for it to come out so they can go see it again. So that was kind of cool coming out every year. Of course, now we're waiting four or five years between Bond yeah, it's films. Yeah, it's a little bit long now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to go faster. Those were the good old days, huh? Anyway, people were reading the books and waiting for the new film to come out. In the U.S., President Kennedy, who was president at the time, put the Bond novel From Russia With Love on his top ten favorite book list. That made the Bond novel sales and interest in the U.S. explode. It's kind of like in the U.S. here when Oprah Winfrey would put her, this is my top whatever list, book list or whatever. Oh, yeah. Sales would explode of whatever she was saying was her favorite things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, people are doing this. They're reading the books, waiting for the new movie, and so on. And uh, and Kennedy helped quite a bit. So we read all the all the novels as well, of course. And just recently, actually, Tom and I visited the Lilly Library at Indiana University in the U.S. in the U.S. down in the state of Indiana, and they own eleven of the original Ian Fleming Bond manuscripts. We were able to spend a day and a half examining hundreds of typewritten pages by Fleming. That was really cool. Oh, yeah, along with all his ink corrections. I mean, in his hand, changes, name changes, title changes, more. Whole paragraphs sometimes he would write in and scratch out other paragraphs. On one page, Miss Pettivel was scratched out. The name Pettivel was based on a real person Ian Fleming knew, Pettigrew. 
Yeah, and she was actually the administrator or secretary in for, MI6. Yeah, for the MI6 head. Yeah. So it was in a, real life. In real life. So here he scratches out Pettiville. And when he scratches it out, he pins in Money Penny. That was really cool. Like oh, you my You see the God. typewritten, you see the line Scratched through it. Out. And then in his handwriting, Money Penny. Money Penny. The name we all know and love was first introduced into the Bond novels right here. And we're looking at it. We're touching the pages. It's right there. Scratch out, Money Penny. And you can see on the on the, on the the first uh, few pages after that, he scratches out Pettiville and puts Money Penny in again. Really cool. This was genuinely a remarkable experience, touching the pages of Bond as Fleming wrote it. We'd highly recommend a visit there for any spy movie fan, but especially Bond fans. Yeah, that was that was a really, really fun experience. Yeah. There was a guy there a few months ahead of us who was researching through all the manuscripts for all the watches that Bond wore, and then he wrote an article on timepieces that was an international hit. So it was cool. I would check it out, the Lilly Library at Indiana University in the state of Indiana in the U.S. Cool. So Tom and I were hooked on the spy movie stuff. We saw the movies. We went to uh, the Lilly Library at Indiana University. So we knew we got to do something about this. The seed of Spy Movie Navigator was planted not that long ago. Dan and I went on a trip to Switzerland, Luxembourg, Belgium, and then we went to Normandy and France to the beaches of D-Day. As an aside, everyone who should set foot on the beaches in Normandy to realize what the Allies sacrificed for the freedom of the world. It was a moving, touching, really heart-wrenching experience. Yeah, yeah, bring bring a tissue because it's it's hard to step on those beaches and not be emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. So on that trip, while in Switzerland, Tom and I spent a week traveling all over by train and cable car. We went to Zurich, Geneva, Interlaken, and then we went up to a small town, Murin, which is probably about 5,300 feet up, into the Swiss Alps. Beautiful. Long, beautiful cable car ride up, small train to the town with gorgeous scenery all around. It really it was like being in a National Geographic magazine. Just spectacular beauty all around us. And Tom really loved the cable car. Yeah, Dan, <laughs> you got to see that beauty. Yeah. I'm not exactly <laughs> a, a fan of heights. And so we get on that cable car, and I was I was a little uh, nervous there. Yeah, I would say so. Tom was sitting in the middle of the back seat, staring straight ahead. I was up taking pictures of everything, saying, "Oh, this is really cool, huh?" And he was looking straight ahead, staring like, "Oh boy." Yeah, I was. I was one of those. <laughs> I love scenery, but that cable car experience for me, for that f- the first one we took, yeah, especially, yeah. really had me kind of a little. Uh, at unease yeah we were going up pretty high yeah, yeah so but you got better you i did get better because we took a lot of cable cars we took a lot of cable cars but that was one of those being a, a guy from chicago where everything's flat <laughs> to get up into something like a cable car not something i'd really experienced at any size before yeah so tom missed some of the beauty of the area because he was staring straight ahead in the cable car but all around were these beautiful little towns Lauterbrunnen, Grindelwald, Trommelbach Falls, Schildhorn. Yeah, that's what you told me. (laughs) (laughs) I said, look at that, Tom. Well, we're now close to some of the action from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the 1969 James Bond film, of course, the sixth Ian production James Bond 007 movie. The car chase 
where Tracy drives her red 69 Mercury Cougar XR7, which is a cool car, which, by the way, we Tom and I saw at the Bond in Motion exhibit in London. Oh, what a, what a great exhibit yeah, that was. You got, you got to go there. We'll talk about that in, a, in another podcast. But here she is driving the Mercury Cougar with Bond as the passenger, and she's driving it through the stock car race on ice and snow. Yeah, getting amazing traction out of that car yeah. on ice and snow. Yeah, 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 right. Actually, Diana Rigg actually drove the car for a couple of the scenes. She wanted to. There was a stunt person doing some of the other driving, of course. But, yeah, so she's getting... I like it when the, the stars actually do their stunts. I mean, that's one of the cool things about Mission Impossible. Yeah, it is. It's great. So, And here she was doing some of it herself. But, anyway, she's driving the car in the stock car race, which was a great scene. And she's trying to escape Blofeld's henchmen, of course, uh, it took place right there in the parking lot area of Lauterbrunnen, which is in the Bern region in Switzerland. So that was a small cable car ride down, so we went. So I, I was able to man- manage that ride. Yeah, Tom was better there because we're going down, <laughs> which is the right direction, I guess, and slowly. Anyway, immediately we thought, wow, this is very, very cool to be on the location of a Bond film scene and one from one of our favorite bond movies too. yeah and i don't know how to ex- express it because you're there it's like i saw that in the movie yeah it looks a little different now sure but that's this is where they actually film that yeah there is something just fun about being right on the location of the film where they filmed it it's just something fun about it yeah i, I wanted to add something here about the the cable cars there because one of the ways you get around this region is by cable cars oh, yeah. pretty much the main way you do it and we were in the town of Vengen, and we had to get from Vengen down to Grindelwald. And to do that, you had to take a cable car, which, like 10 years earlier, was the largest cable, the longest cable car ride yes. that there was. We get in this thing, and it's a small cable car, not like one of the bigger ones. I think we it was took. a two-seater or it, three-seater, four-seater, maybe. It was, it, was it was small. It was small. I mean, it's a ski lift area thing. And yeah. so we, we, we get in this thing, and it's really windy out. Yeah. And the cable car starts rocking, and we're descending, and I'm I'm really not happy at this moment. <laughs> Tom's real calm. <laughs> One of the cool things for me though was that you would the the cows were grazing on the hills, so this was obviously not in the winter. So the cows were grazing, and you heard the cowbells, and they had different tones for the different you know cow and they were loud farmers or whatever. And they were yeah. loud, but they were also calming for me. But the interesting thing to me is I live in the Midwest in the U.S. There's a lot of cattle where I drive, where especially where I used to drive for work, and I never heard cowbells, let alone the different tones that they would make because if you heard anything that you were all on one farm and you, there was right. no intermingling of these things, so you didn't really hear the different bells. And it was really calming and really beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was kind of different. But I, it was I windy. Heard it before either. And it, it wasn't stable. And you, you remember in, one, in the film, actually, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where Bond is fighting uh, in the cowbell shed and the bells are ringing all over the place. That's where they kept them. Yeah, so, cool. so the cable car ride takes us down to Grindelwald. And we got to the spot in the ice rink where Tracy... She was there skating, and she meets up with Bond, and who was just sitting on the bench trying to figure out how he's going to get out of the mess he's in and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And she comes in, and she uh, they then go and ta- take off. But when we got down there, they ended up closing the cable car because it was too windy. It was a little too dangerous. We were the last <laughs> car they, they let through. I mean, it was, it was really Bond-like. I mean, we just barely made it. Which made Tom look... 
uh, made Tom uh, look forward to the next uh, cable car. The next cable car. I think we actually (laughs) took a train from Grindelwald back to Lauterbrunnen. (laughs) That was good. So we we made it back up the Murin, but we were only going to be in Murin for two days. We stayed at the Iger Hotel, which was really a beautiful hotel, beautiful views, great restaurant, nice little bar. Sitting, sitting on the on the patio of the room, looking out at yeah. the mountains, Gordon. not in a cable car, <laughs> just looking out there. It was absolutely fantastic. It was. It was the, the views were, were fabulous, and the people running the place were just terrific, too. So we found out, actually, that some of the actors in the crew hung around there during the filming of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and they had cocktails there, and they gambled a bit, playing cards with each other and so on. Apparently, Telly Silvalis liked winning. So that was cool. So, of course, we had the dine there and sit at the bar and have a few cocktails too yeah, just just a few just to you know to get into the, the 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 mood of the of the actors and and the crew that were there too you know so that was fun the lift was closed though that went up to Shilthorn due to bad weather now well really that's the way you get to Shilthorn is from Mur- Murin right that's yeah, yeah. that's where you catch the cable car yeah. to get up there so we, we want to do that of course Shilthorn is where Pease Gloria is which was the main scene in the Blofeld's headquarters in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where he theoretically had his allergy research institute, but where he's really brainwashing women who's, who'll deliver a deadly virus to the world. So we wanted to get up there, and it was closed. Yeah, that really, that really was not a fun thing. So we were, we were disappointed that it was inaccessible, but we watched around the clock when it might open again. Fortunately, they had monitors in the hotel lobby that tracked the status of all of the cable lifts. And in the morning, it was open, yeah. and we were able to go up to Peace Gloria at Shilthorn. Uh, this was, what, a, another... Four to 5,000 feet up? Yeah. Sounds like that. Yeah, and another cable car. And when you're looking down and the cable car is going up, I mean, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's fabulous. There's thousands of feet below. <laughs> yeah, well, you looked down, I looked straight into the mountain. Uh, but it was, this was the biggest cable car we were on, so it was more stable feeling mm-hmm. as we were doing this. But when we got up there, we're where a lot of the action took place in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. We had Blofeld's headquarters there, that outdoor section where the women were curling. And then when Bond tried it and he slipped, and later when he slides as he's shooting Blofeld's henchmen during the assault on Peace Gloria by Bond and Draco. Inside, Bond walks up the steps with the gold, ornate metalwork, making a barrier to the stairway as he ascends. We were right there. We were there, and that metalwork is still there. Yeah, exactly like that. So for me, I I was hooked. From this moment, we were like, if we like this, I bet there are a lot of people around the world who are spy movie fans who would love to be here. And here we were. (laughs) Here we were, man. This was so cool. One of the top ten Bond filming locations in the world. Yes. We're standing there looking out. So as the wheels turned on the cable car ride back down, they also started turning for Spy Movie Navigator. Hook, line, and sinker. We're going to do something with spy movies. The next summer, I went to Prague to visit my daughter, who was on a study abroad program and, of course, had to head to Charles Bridge. Plenty was filmed here for Mission Impossible 1, and Born Identity, 2002, and some Bond stuff, too. So I got a picture of the Charles Bridge standing in the exact location the cameraman was in for Mission Impossible one shot. It now, was now, yeah, and you're, you're, very cool. You're, you're saying you were in the exact location? Yeah, I like that. And when when I went to Scotland with my wife, we went and saw the Eileen Donan um, Castle. Yes. And she thought I was nuts because we drive up there, and she goes, okay, take your picture. 
and yeah. and I'm looking at it going like, yeah, but this isn't exactly what it looked like in the movie. Not good enough. And so we've kind of poked around and found out that that shot was actually taken from a parking area up on top of the hill that you had to drive about a half mile to get to. It made all the difference in the world yeah. getting to that exact spot. You want to be on that spot. It's like, yeah, this is exactly what they saw. So anyway, that was cool. And of course, other stuff, uh, Mission Impossible 1, where Phelps pretends to be dead and falls over the bridge, that's in there too. So of course, they had to go to her. In the Caribbean, Tom, with his family, had visited Duns River Falls in Jamaica, and I had visited with my family separately, and we all climbed the falls. It was, again, very cool to be in such an iconic spot from Dr. No, the first in production of James Bond film. We're there where Honey Ryder and James Bond were standing. Yeah, no, it, we were there on a cruise. You know, a cruise stopped in Jamaica. A lot, and if you go to Jamaica on a cruise ship, almost all of them are going to have an excursion to Duns River Falls. Now, keep in mind, when you go see these spots today, things look differently. Oh, yeah. And where it's nice and quiet and secluded feeling in the movie, today it's kind of a touristy area, as a lot of these Bond filming locations are. In fact, I was listening to one of the James Bond radio podcasts, and they were talking to Alan Tompkins, and he was he was mentioning that from when they filmed it to where it was like 25 years later when he went back, he said it was pretty much night and day because of what happened with all the tourism. Oh, it, it's crowded now. I mean, there's hundreds of people there now when you're climbing the falls and, and so on. I mean, it's it's just... It's not, it's not going to look like the two, three people uh, standing there in the movie. But it's still a cool place. I would still go. And we talk a lot more about that in our Dr. No podcast, so check that one out, too. After Switzerland and the Caribbean, we thought we'd do an exploratory trip to a few other spy movie locations. So recently, Tom and I headed to Portugal, Sardinia, Italy, Amsterdam and London to visit a few more film locations. I, I bet that's an itinerary you would have put together too. Yeah, we went uh, twelve days, eight flights, four countries. Yeah, we, we, it, <laughs> it was, was a wild. lot of work. It was wild. On that trip alone, we got to over fifty Bond and spy movie locations. We actually met with Caroline Monroe, who played Naomi, the assistant of Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me. What what an absolutely wonderful experience that was. She was fantastic. She was a delight. I mean, we talked to her for several hours. Yeah, she was really generous with her time. She was a beautiful woman in the movie, and, and she's still a beautiful yeah. woman inside and out. She was just so much fun and so easygoing. It was like talking to a friend. She was just terrific. Anyway, if you get a chance to ever meet Caroline Monroe, do it. She's awesome. She was great. Yeah. So she's the one who played Naomi. Again, she was the assistant of Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me. She's the person who comes to collect Bond, who was posing as a marine biologist, Mr. Sterling. And she was going to bring him to Stromberg, the villain. And the, she was also the pilot of the helicopter that's chasing the Lotus Esprit that Bond is driving, you know, the one that turns into the submarine and dives off the pier at the end. And she's trying to shoot Bond as he's escaping. Now, as as I said earlier, The Spy Who Loved Me was my first yeah. Bond movie. I will, like for you with Honey Rider yeah. getting out in Dr. No, when Caroline Monroe pulls up on that boat with that brown bikini with that white cover-up yeah. that's not quite covering up. Yes. Uh, 
that's one of my first Bond moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's a great character in the movie and just in real life, awesome person. Yep. Terrific. So anyway, she she's chasing Bond in the helicopter and Bond drives the Lotus into the water and then through the submarine now it becomes kind of a submersible and he's looking out and he shoots a missile up and blows up the helicopter with her in it. So she becomes the first woman that Bond kills in the movies. So that's a, a unique thing happening in this movie. So on in, in Sardinia, this is in Sardinia, Tom and I got to all the Bond locations in Sardinia, Italy. We saw where the Lotus was delivered on the ferry dock. We saw where the chase scenes were with the with the Lotus, uh, the, the motorcycle chasing, the, the helicopter chasing it, and so on. We saw where the pier, we went on the pier, walked onto the pier, and took photos and video there on the pier where the Lotus drives into the water, and we got to the beach where the Lotus drives out of the water too. We'll have a whole podcast on our on that trip as well. But we got to all those cool filming locations in Sardinia. And, and it's amazing how big Sardinia is geographically, how much area it covers, Yes, and how little area where they filmed the covered of Sardinia. Yes, it was mostly on the uh, Emerald Isle, the uh, Emerald Coast, which is the northeast coast of Sardinia. And uh, Tom and I actually, uh, as an aside, we were, we, the first night we got there, we, we took our rental car and we tried to find the where we thought the pier was going to be where he drove the lotus into the water and we're driving down this bumpy <laughs> bumpy road i mean if you ever skied like with, with moguls uh, and you're bouncing off this is how the car was driving down yeah, this the car wasn't happy with us this kind of a sandy mogul kind of road we didn't know where we we're going of course and we're thinking this this might be the road after about a mile or two maybe it was i don't yeah, know we were, we were there on it for what seemed like a long time because yeah so i mean we're the, the car is jostling back and right and, and it was like okay the sun's starting to go down it's starting to get dark and we, we stop and we said we, we should at least take a few pictures this is obviously not the spot tom says uh there's something leaking yeah <laughs> we had a leak <laughs> under the car and I'm thinking, oh, jeez. And son of a gun, there was a little puddle of clear liquid there. So we get turned the, the ignition thing on again. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, the, one of the idiot lights is on. We're like, what the hell is that? So we get the book out. Of course, it's all in Italian. But Tom and I are Italian, so we can figure out a few little things there. So he's like, oh, it's the brakes. <laughs> it's the brakes. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so thought, we can't go back up that hill. We just came back down. And we just came down because it'll never make it up that hill. So we had to continue. So we're driving with what was left of the brakes. So a foot hovering over the brake pedal, one hand on the emergency brake. <laughs> Tom's on the GPS trying to get us back to the hotel. We finally make it back to the hotel. We back the car in a parking space in case it needs to be towed. We go in, we talk to the concierge, and he says, we tell him what happened. He calls for us. He calls the rental company. They come to take to get us another car. So about an hour later, they come. The, a guy shows up driving the car that we're going to take. He gets out of the car with his kid. Yeah, his little, like, what, nine-year-old <laughs> nine son, old or, son something? or something? Yeah. yeah. And we, we say, you know, the brakes are no good on this car. He's like, it'll be fine. <laughs> Whatever you say. And he drives off. And the next day when Tom and I turned the car in when we're leaving Sardinia, the car's sitting on the lot ready to be rented again. It's like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, that was a little side trip that didn't go as well because we didn't know where we were going. It wasn't the place we wanted to be. But that's one of the fun things about doing a trip like this. It's an adventure hunt. It is. It's, it's, it is. It's like a treasure hunt. 
and sometimes you're in the wrong spot. But when you get to the right spot, it is it's <laughs> magic. Yeah, because we did find that here later. Yep, we did. <laughs> this trip was spy movie heaven. We had gone to Sardinia, and we had earlier gone to Switzerland to Peace Gloria, and we were like, let's go to other stuff from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So we went to Lisbon. And here we wanted to find the pre-title sequence where Bond was driving before you knew he was Bond. He's driving his Aston. You see just his head, his hat, him lighting a cigarette. We were able to find... Which is real similar to Dr. No, how you first see Bond, right? You don't see his face yet. You saw his chest. You saw him smoking the cigarette when you saw He's in the casino gambling with um, Sylvia Trench. Exactly, and that's so how they the same kind of that's thing. how they started introducing the characters. They actually took that from it, there was a movie called Juarez that was done. I don't remember what year, but that was done before. Right, and they they had the same type of thing where they introduced the main character in pieces before okay. you got to see his face. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And they did the same. They did the same thing here. Yeah. So we were able to find the exact spot where he was driving in the beginning, in a town called Casais, and I probably blew the pronunciation of that one um but we were able to find the spot where the camera was shooting the scene again getting to that exact yeah. filming location and it was a beautiful little spot too yeah it was it was very nice and then then we wanted to find out where tracy's car passes bond and that trait that chase begins. and we found it on the road near cabo de roca in portugal which is the westernmost point of portugal yeah we, we drove all the way up to the top just to see it and there's a gorgeous view up there and then we drove back down the road so we we knew we had to be on the road exactly where this was happening so it was fun it was, it was really and fun gorgeous and and beautiful and you take that road that gets you from the Cabo de Roca and you take that down to Spiaggia Guincho and you're going to be that's exactly how you get there yes right and that beach Guincho is the beach where Bond saves Tracy from killing herself he gets in that fight Tracy First takes his car to get to her car, and then Bond looks at the camera, and one of my favorite Bond lines, yeah. this never happened to the other fellow. Yeah, yeah, that, that was cool. He, he kind of said that, and they, they wanted to keep it in, in the film. So it was, I think it was kind of an ad lib. It was an ad lib? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to keep that in the film. Yeah. That, but, cra- that cracked me up. That was cool. And it, it was such a beautiful beach, and it you could see exactly how it was laid out in the film you could see the the cliffs and the bluffs and stuff that look exactly the same and so you know i i had to take a little sand from the beach and i got that in a little bottle now from you know Quincho beach i mean come on you're gonna actually yeah. admit that yeah huh? i'm admitting that this is gonna be on the internet dan <laughs> yeah i know i took it into the country <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty neat and that was one of those where the beach was a pretty large beach and so it took us a little bit of time to try to figure out where is it Yes. That was the right, you know, where's the background right and everything? Because, you know, the, fortunately the hills don't change much over time. Right. The the beach was very different, but you were able to identify it. But it took some time to get there. Um, we then went into, into Lisbon itself, and we found the jewelry shop where Tracy saw that beautiful ring. Bond afterward went back to purchase the ring, which became her wedding ring. Mm. We wandered around a bit, and we found this Palazzo Frontiera, which is the beautiful gardens with the statuary that Bond and Tracy were strolling in. There's that montage where they kind of fall in love. Bond and Tracy in the gardens, the fountains. There's that cat, the yeah. star fountain. Yeah, I mean, with, with the Louis Armstrong, uh, Sachmo's song playing in the background. We got all the time. We got in the all world. the time in the world. Yeah. And 
That was another location that was kind of interesting because we kind of knew where it was on the map, kind of. Yeah. But we're driving around trying to find this thing. When we passed some bridge for the third time, we thought, hmm. Yes. So we, we, we pull over into this parking lot to kind of really sit and look at the map and try to figure out where we are. We turn around and it's right behind us, it's right across, across the, the street. street. Yeah. We so found it. All these trips, yeah, they, they get kind of fun with the stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the next thing we had to find was the uh, 25th of April bridge. Eh, that one wasn't so hard to find. I mean, this is the bridge that Draco's guys drive over when they kidnap Bond and they're going to take him over to Draco. Yeah, and we we drove over it in the exact same lane, of course, that they were driving so that we were in the exact same spot. <laughs> it's got to be the same spot. It's got to be the same spot. Then we got to another place that was fascinating. We went to the mansion where the wedding reception took place, where they were in front of the courtyard, and there was the bullpen where Draco's birthday party was held. I mean, this was supposed to be Draco's house. And this place is fairly remote it's remote and it's private property and we have to point out and we somehow uh, managed our way into it and we're there in in the in the courtyard where the reception was taking place the bond bond tracy wedding reception it's right there gorgeous beautiful home and then the bull ring where Draco's party was. And we, we go over to the bull ring and literally it was just you and I there. Yeah. And there was a bowl in a pen, not yes. in the ring. Yeah, yeah. But there was a bowl in the pen. Yeah. But that was it. It was you, me, and the bowl. We we walked into the bull ring, right where they were filming all the stuff. We we could see the terrace where the party was, right? We walk up the same steps that Diana walked up, Diana Rigg and and um, George Lazenby walked up, Bond and Tracy. We were in, right up on the deck where the party was taking place, standing right where Bond's table was, looking down into the bull ring. It was one of my favorite, favorite locations of any of the ones we've been to so far. Yeah, that was that was that was a fun one. That was a great one. Yeah. Now we had the the bull ring, which is where Draco's birthday party was. The mansion, which we mentioned first, because that's where we actually went to first, yes. is actually where the wedding reception is. And when they leave the wedding reception, they go off driving. And we found, then found the spot where Tracy was killed. Because if you remember, Bond pulls over to remove the flowers from the cars from the wedding. Yes. And while he's out of the car, uh, Blofeld and uh, Boont drive by and she shoots, she shoots Tracy. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot to this trip. I mean, and we have, we're going to have a podcast just on the trip. And it was so fun to do. And this was a trip that was 100% dedicated to going to spy movie locations, unlike some of the other trips we, de- we did. Right. So we're in as deep as we can get now into spy movie stuff. And there's no getting out for Tom and I. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So we started SpyMovieNavigator.com and our social media digital properties to reach out to the worldwide community of spy movie fans to create a place to congregate, discuss, gain, and contribute insights, share photos, videos, and more. We're the place to come if you're a spy movie fan because thousands like us are coming as well. Yeah, we kept, we kept saying this. It's We can't be the only ones that like this right. as we're going through this. There's got to be thousands of people that, that would be interested in something like this. Yeah, and I agree. This is why we're doing it. Spy Movie Navigator is the place for fans from all over the world to come because we're the worldwide community of spy movie fans. So this is what we want to do, but how are we going to do it? Yeah, I mean, did you ever take a look at YouTube for a particular spy movie that you were interested in? Maybe you're checking out Dr. No on YouTube. 
There are literally dozens or maybe even hundreds of clips on this movie alone. And the same is true for dozens and dozens of other spy movies. Even something like Mission Impossible. There's six Mission Impossibles and they all start out with Mission Impossible. So yes. if you do a search on YouTube and let's say you're interested in Mission Impossible 2, you're going to get clips from all of the other Mission Impossible stuff, not just Mission Impossible 2 when you do that search. So you can spend a very long time trying to find meaningful clips about the movie. And when you do, they're scattered all over the place and in random order. So here is what we're going to be doing with the best spy movies on our website, spymovienavigator.com. On our website, we're curating spy movies from the main spy movie genres, Bond, Born, Mission Impossible, and the best of the rest. What we're doing is scouring through those YouTube clips. We're trying to find the best ones that represent key scenes in the movies. Now, we're not obviously going to take the whole movie, of course. We're going to assemble them in chronological order as they'd appear in the film, then include our editorial comments, insights, and why this scene is important to the film, or how this film or scene impacts other spy movies or scenes that may follow, and how other spy movies or real-life incidents that preceded these movies may have influenced the film we're looking at. So if you think about In Dr. No, where you look over and you see the Duke of Wellington picture, yes. Bond looks over at that. That's a real-life event that's not from another movie. It's a real-life event. That picture had been stolen shortly before they started filming the movie, so they decided to add that in. Right. And again, we talk about that in our Dr. No podcast, so you can check that out as well. So, so you, you can go to any, any genre category and see the clips and read the editorial commentaries and insights for each clip. If you're a spy movie fan, we know you'll love this approach. Of course, we always look for your insights as well, and we'll promote the exchange of ideas via forums and our fo Facebook chats. We may even use your insights on the site. In short, we'll all learn something new from the curated films, which is a unique approach to looking at spy movies in general. We're building a worldwide community of spy movie fans, and you're invited. One of our main vehicles for delivering this content is podcasting. We will create podcasts on many spy movie topics and try to dig deep into the subject matter as best we can. Throughout our treatment of spy movies, we'll integrate our podcasts that cover the curated movie or mention that movie. For example, the Dr. No podcast is an expansion of the written curated section on the website for the film. We'll have podcasts on all of the curated films, as well as podcasts on many spy movie topics that will cover multiple films at the same time, like chase scenes in spy movies, train scenes in spy movies, how real-life events find their way into these movies, how one has influenced others, why maybe Mission Impossible might challenge Bond for dominance, podcasts of our trips to spy movie locations, we'll have interviews with authors and movie personnel, and dozens and dozens more topics. We will interrelate within each podcast how other spy movies may have influenced the scene, or where an idea that we see here may have come from in another spy movie, or how this particular spy movie will influence future spy movies. We will weave a unique story and try to offer some new insights into specific scenes or movies as we examine each. And now one of the benefits of the podcast format is that you'll be able to download them so you can have a mobile listening experience as well. You can listen on the go. Yeah, listen on the go. Cool. We have 100 ideas maybe right now, some completed already and others that are in the works. But we're constantly developing relationships with people in the industry so that we could bring you the best. 
As we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, and we can't stress this enough, we will look for your suggestions, your guidance, and most importantly, your contributions and insights on an ongoing basis. After all, we are a community. One big area of interest for Dan and me are filming locations, as you've probably gotten from this podcast to this point. I mean, going from to a place where they film scenes from movies and trying to figure out exactly where the camera and actors were standing is magical to us. We have a lot of fun trying to determine that exact spot. I used to joke with Dan when we get to a site, if we can get within a couple square meters of where they filmed it, we're fine. No. But over time, <laughs> no. as we've done this more, there really is a thrill in trying to get to that exact spot. You know, as I mentioned before, the thing with the Eileen Donan Castle in Scotland, that was really used in The World Is Not Enough. And I really had to find where that camera was sitting. We had to drive up that hill to that parking location to see the castle, yeah, as you could see it in the film. And my wife thought I was absolutely nuts but it made all the difference to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, remember in Sardinia, Tom, when, when we were looking, we spent two hours locating the scene in the in the Spy Who Loved Me, the Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me, where the motorcycle starts to chase Bond in the Russian agent Triple X as he's driving his Lotus Esprit. And we found it and verified it by having the movie with us on our Microsoft Surface. And remember, we saw the street where the Lotus comes into the square and then exits the square. And in the movie... The building that was a visual anchor for us had a balcony on it, but the building now did not have a balcony on it. So we thought, this is weird. So we walked up to the building and saw where the beams had been removed that were holding up the balcony. So we were there. Yeah, and this is an example of how things change over time from when something was shot. And so some of this does take a little bit of time. It's like, this really feels like this is the right space, but it looked a little different. Yeah. And then we were able to figure out why. Yeah, and it's cool. So if you haven't visited any spy movie film locations yet, we strongly encourage you to give it a try. And to help you with this, we're going to have a section on the website with videos and photos that we've taken at these sites, and we hope that you'll share some of yours with all of us as well when you visit these sites. So let's delve deeper into the video photo section of the site. We'll link to actual film location scenes that we visited and are associated with particular spy films. And you can see what these locations look like now versus what they look like when the movie was filmed. There's something absolutely fun about being on these actual film locations for these spy movies. And we visited about 100 of these filming locations so far throughout the world. Tom and I take specific trips to go to spy movie film locations. And you can as well. Or you could add on a side trip when you're on a vacation or a business trip somewhere in the world to visit some spy movie locations that may be right where you're visiting. We know a big Bond fan who travels all over the world, tells his wife, hey, we should go to Sardinia, Italy. It's beautiful there. And then when they get there, he says, oh, by the way, there's like four or five Bond sites I want to go visit while I'm here. And Tom did the same thing in Scotland with his wife, as he told you about earlier. So it's fun. Just get there, go out, do something. So we're going to try to help you do that as well. Spy Movie Navigator will present videos on our YouTube channel and on our website dealing with spy movie locations, what they look like now, what scenes were filmed there, some podcast videos, and a variety of other videos as well. We'll continue to present interesting information in unique ways and unique information in new ways. Since we love heading out on trips to spy movie filming locations, we'll also have a section on filming location tours. We will help you get to these locations around the world to aid you We'll be partnering with tour organizations in different parts of the world. 
So when you, our community of listeners and readers, want to go on some spy movie location tours, you'll be able to. We are even planning to organize a super tour of our own. So let us know what we should include in that. Visiting spy movie filming locations has been a tremendous joy for Dan and I, and we never tire of getting to a new location for the first time and seeing exactly where they filmed the key scene from Bourne, Bond, Mission Impossible, or one of the best of the rest spy movies. It is just fun to stand where Bond was standing, for instance, in Thunderball at the Shrublands. Which we've done. Which we've done. Or where Phelps falls off the Charles Bridge in Prague in Mission Impossible, which, Dan, you've done. Yeah. I've got to get to Prague. We'll help you find great tour options as you vacation around the world. We've talked about some of our experiences, podcasts, videos, and tours. We're adding another final element to our mission. Spy Movie Navigator has partnered with Stephen J. Rubin, the author of the complete James Bond movie encyclopedia book, to bring you the largest online James Bond movie database. Stephen J. Rubin will have a new revision coming out sometime after Bond 25 is released, too. Exciting stuff. We will also add additional spy movie information to the database as well, meaning information from different spy movies. And you can search for all kinds of things spy movie related online at our main website, spymovienavigator.com. This alone is pretty cool and will be a ton of fun for spy movie fans. Spymovienavigator.com will be a fun gathering place and our social media properties like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram will provide additional information, links to new podcasts and videos, and provide, most importantly, a forum for us to discuss with each other what's important in spy movies, gather insights you may have and can contribute, and a place where you can upload your own photos and videos of you on spy movie locations and where we can all have fun. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it very much. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. At SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. Please continue to come back, download our podcasts, watch the videos, read our genre content, and give us your feedback, insights, and info that you can contribute to grow the knowledge base and fun for all of us spy movie fans.